0: Welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is Ryan. Janelle and I are with Mark and Brian tonight. Good to have you guys with us. Hello. See, sometimes it's, it's good, right? Is it good? You've yeah. got a hello? Yeah. No, it's not good. Great to be here, <laughs> man. Thanks for having us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today, tonight, I should say, uh, we are tackling Mark's topic that he wrote for the Denver Brew Theology crew called the Crown of Creation or God's Imagination. It's uh, got a fun little ring to it. And we'll do some conversational guidelines just to remind you all out there, if you're doing these in your own community, these, I think, are what kind of keep us grounded. No soapboxes allowed, so nobody gets the last uh, word or viewpoint, but still, please be passionate. Number two, respect all others and their viewpoints. Three, extend courtesy by listening well. Four, everything is up for discussion. And we wrap it all up with don't be a jerk. And I hear that Jersey Brew theology says don't be a douche, and sometimes people say don't be a dick asshat, you can say whatever you want, but we write jerk because... It's just a little more polite. It is, it is. And if you're trying to sell curriculum online, which by the way you can do, you can get some of this stuff online. Yes, you can. For like pennies. So, so, Pretty so cheap. much. Yep. You could do your own community. So if you're interested in wherever you are across the country or in New Zealand, shout out to our New Zealand listeners, then just email Janelle at Brutheology.org or Ryan at BrewTheology.org. All the information is right there. We're on Twitter, Brew underscore Theology. Facebook and Instagram.
1: Brew theology. Just
0: Brew Theology there. So we uh, we have a busy summer ahead of us, and by the time this is published, we may or we may have not already gone to North Carolina. Right. So we should probably just talk about that anyway. Well, we
1: should, because we're going to go to the Wild Goose Festival, and we're going to do a live podcast there, which the first time we did it was how I met one of my good friends, Bridget. And then we did it. Who was on last year? Do you remember?
0: We had a Jew and a Gentile walk into a bar. Mitzvah. Ah. Charles was with us.
1: Yes. That was a ton of fun. And
0: he gave me a cigar afterward, which I don't smoke a lot, by the way. But let me tell you, in North Carolina, I probably smoke more in just a few days there (laughs) than I do in like three years. So I don't know. I say smoke cigars. All right, everybody. I live in Colorado, and I'm saying cigars. But it is legal here and so are psychedelic mushrooms or it's not, it's not, it's not legal. You just can't decriminalize. So there's a little fine line there. So come to Colorado or come to North Carolina because you can do a little bit of everything in both places. We'd love
1: to have you in North Carolina. (laughs) You can work the booth with us one afternoon and, um, you know, we might have a cooler by the table. That's a secret.
0: It is a secret, Maybe. and you don't just come by to get a free beer like kids come and get free candy. You actually have to sit down and have a lengthy conversation. Substantial. Yeah.
1: Are we even getting in trouble for publishing this on the web?
0: It's okay, because it's not official. It's, okay. an, uno- it's an unofficial That's cooler. It's
1: unofficial. It may be an invisible cooler. Nice. We don't know. But yeah, a wild
0: goose is always a good time, July 11th Especially through the Especially
1: Silent Disco. So you have to stay up all day and all night and then silent disco. But it's worth it. I promise. Silent getting, disco. Silent disco mm-hmm. is the best thing. You ever so, go to these
0: events and, and you see a bunch of people with no music, with headphones on, dancing? Like they're, they don't know how to dance because there's no music. You, you can't hear it, but they can hear it. I've never seen that, but I I'm, can okay, imagine so it's, that. It's just that's, that's,
1: that's what it looks like. And so at Wild Goose, we all are on the same music and in some places they will you can choose between channels so you can have different people dancing to different music under the same dj so
0: you'll see people on the horizon there line dancing that kind you of you feel thing. like you're in your own world <laughs> and yet your world is interconnected with others in a very mystical way yes, it really it is mystical it is transcendent it is. I'm, I'm telling you <laughs> especially when
1: bohemian rhapsody comes on it's the best yeah
0: it, it really, really is, is. In on or it. shall i mean it's good, good really wedding cool. music as well
1: uh, it happens here around Denver once a while. I think we we should look into it for brew theology. We should see what it would cost to rent the equipment or borrow it from somebody and do oh, our uh, own silent disco. I always
0: wonder what kind of events work. So clearly these events work for the kind of people that we bring in on Thursday nights. But we've done baseball games, which brings in a smaller crowd, and I get it because nerds usually don't like sports. But you know, <laughs> we've done we've done backyard cookouts, which that actually works people like to yeah. eat. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if that would work with a Oh no come community.
1: on, you light up Twitter and our social media and tell me how many of you would come to a brew theology-hosted silent or loud disco. I mean, I'd
0: be there, but I'm an extrovert.
1: It's going to happen.: their way.: and
0: Janelle found herself in a, in a very and it is a very mystical way, a yeah. few years ago when you first did that. Yeah. So regarding events and having a lot of fun, we did altruist about a month ago here in Denver, and there are Was that a month ago? By the time they listen, she- it might be two months. There are other people who are actually showing interest around the country who would who would want to do something like this. If that's you, if you're like, what is altruist? It was an event. It was a five hour event with all six major world religious leaders under the sun coming together, doing collaborative work uh, with their religion and altruistic efforts in the world at large, and in our local community in Denver. Uh, proceeds went towards local nonprofits as well. We had beer from a local brewery, and I thought it was a lot of fun.
1: It wasn't, and of I think fun. that idea
0: can carry on in other communities as well, so if you want to do it we'd love to you know talk with you guys and set that up in your city or town so without further ado, we will do very brief introductions you've heard Janelle's and mine several times, so we'll keep this really short, but you haven't heard Brian, so he, he could go like an extra thirty seconds so <laughs> I grew up I grew up Southern Baptist evangelical. I feel like I'm very comfortable saying that and realizing those were great uh, Parts of my life, however, the last twenty years I've deconstructed quite a bit of that, and I am um, more of a—I am a Christian that likes to cultivate interfaith dialogue and community, and I don't have any regrets about any of my spiritual gleanings throughout the years, even if I've left some of them behind.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm Janelle. I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene. I left that tradition seven years ago when we moved, and. So now I usually go by the label of progressive Christian and really brew theology is my spiritual home at this point in time. And I love it very much.
0: It loves you. Thank you. Is it an it? Is it a they?
1: Oh, it definitely should be a they. It should be.
2: (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I'm Mark. Uh, I was raised a garden variety Catholic. Uh, church every Sunday, Easter, Christmas. Uh, got confirmed, first communion. Did some catechism here and there, and then uh, I left that as soon as I was emancipated. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, it's it's uh, right now. I I've got this pet idea that religious morality and morality in general is based on social instinct, and that social instinct is a thing that kind of works on you and it uh it's both uh it's both imminent and eminent um and, and and it's unrecognizable that uh it it acts on you
3: but you don't recognize it for what it is pet theory anyway I'm Brian. Uh, I grew up Catholic in Wheaton, Illinois. I went to Catholic school through middle school. But How growing... could
1: you live in Wheaton, Illinois and not be an evangelical? Well, here,
3: here it is, right? <laughs> as I got older, I kind of evolved into non-denominational Christianity in my late teens, early 20s, but always kind of identified myself as a progressive, sort of universalist Christian. And for the past 10, 15 years or so, I've kind of had a hard time finding a a church that sort of accepts those views so in the last couple years i've become very very comfortable and happy not identifying as a christian anymore um more of a, a rational secularist i think it's very dangerous to have any any beliefs that you can't prove in some way and and can't have some rational defense in some way so Um, In the last year or so, I've gotten a little bit into some Buddhist practices as well that I think science uh, backs up
0: really well. Well, nice. This will be fun tonight. So the crown of creation or God's imagination by Mark over here. So, Mark, you have to help us out because this is completely your stream of conscious in a way that is beautiful, <laughs> and those that know you, which last week some of us were like, "Oh, this is so Mark does you know?" And, and yeah, it is, and we love it. Um, now, in a nutshell, if you can if you can somehow close notes this for the listeners who were not a part of our gathering last week, you start with Adam and Eve, and then you end with some Zen Buddhist stuff. <laughs> and you weave in original sin, and you talk about mysticism. So first off, like dis- describe the title and why that title was important to you. Because I know t- titles are tricky. And then just the trajectory from Adam and Eve down to where we're going to have this dialogue with our questions tonight. Yep.
2: Basically, um, Crown of Creation or God's Imagination. Um, I'm kind of linking uh, our Western you know, uh, uh, Abrahamic religions with the Eastern Dharmic religions, uh, mysticism, whether it's Western, whatever, it's kind of a link between the two of them. Um, but I believe that underneath the different stories, they're still referring to the same thing. They've got their own way or, or their own, you know, it's, it's, tinted or tainted by their own experience, but they're still looking for the same thing. Um, And there's just a lot of similarities I see between different religious uh, ideas and principles.
0: Yeah. So you start off with the Judeo-Christian story of creation with Adam and Eve and then how uh, the idea of original sin, clearly from what I can read from your take on this, came later. I don't know those who've done any sort of studies on that. You know, they're like, original sin's in the Bible, right? Well, Mark's done some studies. And so he's basically saying, no, it's it's not. But you can use a story. There's things beyond the story of original sin that then point to some deeper truths. So,
2: Well, basically, I mean, uh, there's no dispute about the idea of, uh, of original sin, Original sin is separation from God. It is the, the fundamental basis of what the Eastern religions uh, tell us. You know, that, that, that reality as we experience it now is an illusion. And there is a hint of that in the Old Testament— where Adam and Eve were supposed to be in constant contact with God, they're always talking to God. You know, the Hebrews—they never got to talk to God. God would come at, that, at them as a burning bush or, or stuff. You know, um, there was that. There was a, a direct connection.
3: Right. Well, you'd, you'd said yeah. something about. The similarity between maybe the creation stories of the Western and the Eastern religions and that there's some undeniable truth behind that, if I was hearing you right. And, and so I'm curious as to what you think that is. Like, wh- wh- Why do you think that there's this similarity and what does that, what does that point to in, in human history?
2: Well, you know, when they're talking about uh, the tree of, of, of knowledge of good and evil, Again, that's detail that doesn't have anything to do with just disobedience. Why would the knowledge of good and, and evil be a bad thing? You know, of course, it says in there uh, that uh, they will uh, become like us and uh and they will they will have the knowledge you know uh, of God. Um, and in the Eastern religions. Again, there's, there's the, the illusion, which has kind of a dream-like quality. You know, it's as real as a dream is to us, but also at the same time as unreal. And, and there is, it's just our nature not to be able to see the truth. It's our nature, uh, since original sin, not to be able to commune with God. It's, I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, it says God created the heaven and the earth. Well, what did God have as materials to create that? He had himself. That was it. There's nothing else. So everything is God. And that's exactly what the, uh, uh, like the Hindus say. You know, when they, when they ask about God, who is God? Well, I'm God. Now, I may be a manifestation or an emanation of God, but on a fundamental level I am, and right. finding how that works.
0: We, we talked about this with the other Mark, and mm-hmm. you were here for that one with the right. Gnosticism podcast and right. asking the difference between pantheism, so all things are God, or panentheism, that God is in all things. Would there be a spectrum here within this sort of uh, framework? God is in all things. Um, but then there's also an element of God is all things right if I'm hearing you right
2: yes I mean well it has to be I mean if you I mean it's first of all it's beyond our our minds to be able to imagine God in the first place but sure God becoming everything that is and yet it's always God so it's the same thing it's it's God in everything and 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 uh God is everything. Everything is God. It's 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 all the same thing. Does that make any sense?
0: Uh, yes, it it does, and it it doesn't at the same time because I'm also a binary Western trained thinker. Right. <laughs> right. But I try to, I try to go to that third way, Richard. Drawer, if you're listening.
2: <laughs> it's it's strange because it's it's uh, yeah, the the binary aspect uh, like heaven and earth, um. Well maybe I should go to what my my actual thesis is behind all this is that I believe that to commune with God is to listen to our instinct that we did not create ourselves you know they, they they like to say well we we came up with this and we came up with that and and we decided how we're going to uh, socialize with each other and that we made up rules you know we didn't do that we might have made up rules but there was something that caused us to want to make up those rules in the first place we we have it's in us to get along it's in us
3: to um, uh, but there's perfectly good evolutionary reasons for that. I mean, we are one of the few species that can cooperate. And one of the ways that we cooperate so effectively is by making up fictions, by making up stories. And, and that allows us to kind of have a sense of, okay, we all agree on these stories, whether it's a religion or it's something like money, where, You know, a meaningless piece of paper is all of a sudden transformed into something that we value to an extreme degree. So, I don't know necessarily that it's it's proof of anything out there that created us, but more of an evolutionary response from from Homo sapiens to survive in a world where all odds were against us surviving when we when we came out of the trees.
0: Right. So, do we think these? Mythical allegorical stories or literal to some people doesn't really matter. Are they um, are they about survival instincts? Are, do they do the do, do tribes need these creation myths in order to function and to thrive? Did Certainly th- seems that way.
2: I think that what happened at some point, and again, this is this is something we can't really you know pinpoint. But at some point, we became self conscious. Once we were self-conscious, we could see ourselves as separate from everything else. Separate from God, separate from creation, although we didn't have a concept of God because we, were, we had just become self-conscious.
1: Well, I mean, except that sociologically, we, we, when you study that, I mean, when babies start to recognize the other, that, that's a critical thing that happens in their early development. And I mean, there's a lot of theorizing that humans can't make sense of the world without another, whether that is an other human or an other being. And right. that's kind of where the I vow emerges from of that. We have to have something that we uh, either are reflected in or that we are acting ag- against, not against in a bad way, but just in relationship to. And right. so, I I actually don't know that I would go with that we could be conscious and not have some sort of awareness of other and that could very easily include some sort of spiritual element.
2: And actually yes that's what I believe I, I, I agree with you. The spiritual element that we're dealing with, I believe, is social instinct. It's I mean, instinct makes people and critters do things. I mean why when you watch your cat. The cat will stop and then immediately start doing something that, you know, some other cat on the other side of the world is doing. It's the exact same thing. It is part of being a cat. And I think that social instinct is part of being us and that the social instinct influences the way we see situations. Now, psychology can screw us up and, and throw us way off track. But this is kind of my idea of original sin, is that when we became self-conscious and we were no longer directed by social instinct, which I believe is what we're looking for when we're looking for God. And that's, you know, that's just my own way of believing. Um, <clears throat> I don't, you know, believe in, in the the kind of God who necessarily answers prayers, And again, that's just me, but, um, but I do believe that there was something from outside of us, you know, as, as self-conscious, uh, critters, we're going about life and we're tempted, you know, anybody who can look around and see, you know, me versus you and you got something I want, why not take it? What would tell me not to take it? Why would we have morality at all? There's no reason to have morality. Except, now like you you were talking about evolution, that it may be natural selection, that we got selected for this.
1: That's, yeah, that's possible, but there's still... I mean, the thing is, if you don't make social agreements, even with animals, if you don't make social agreements, then you're not going to be around. Um, you You, there are, I mean, I... I don't have a great example, but there, there are these behaviors where animals have territory. And this is mine and this is yours, and we've agreed to that because that's how we both get to have families and have enough food to eat and be able to be on the savanna and all coexist. And there are animals that violate those boundaries, but the only way that you have that long-term existence is when we're making those connections. And so I don't know... That I'm willing to say that's only a human thing because I do think we see that mirrored for us in creation. You see that in trees, in the way that they um, share the sky, the way that they share sunlight, the way they sh- we know they can talk to each other, that there is some sort of communication there. Um, and they will
0: also steal as well. Yeah, yeah. There are the bad ones. They'll sneak
1: around <laughs> and you know try to get more resources. So,
2: well, you know, I'm I'm thinking about like say two bull elk and it's mating season they get to fighting and i don't know that they that they consciously plan to fight it's like well you know I, i don't like that guy i'm gonna fight but they something drives them to fight something also drives them to stop fighting and and there just becomes this truce why i don't know And then sometimes you'll have a displacement activity uh, where, uh, you know, one of those bull elks, maybe he's like in a double bind. He wants to fight. He doesn't want to fight. It's kind of a a equal pressures on either way. He goes over and he uh, he attacks a bush or a tree. Um, There is, I mean, that again is not something they didn't plan that society and they didn't make rules, you know. As social critters don't, you know, make rules about society. They are driven to live in a society. And I think that we might have recognized these drives within, trying to figure it out, or just knowing that that's what we got to do. Mythology came around because you had to somehow explain why it is I feel driven or we feel driven to do these things. And so then you get
0: a rule giver. Kind of my thought on that. What do you all think about this, about Mark's <laughs> thesis? Curious. We'll start there, bird's eye view, and then hone in on in the roots of uh, this.
1: I think what was really funny was that on Thursday when we – sat down at my table and we all read through the material and we ended up going off on a tangent on mysticism and um, the role of the resurrection and was that mystical or supernatural or spiritual right I mean like we totally didn't even debate like where <laughs> where does this come from because right. what became interesting was um, kind of comparing, uh, th- several of us came from an evangelical tradition. So comparing some of our spiritual experiences to that of other traditions and the way they talk about them and realizing that we had never heard anyone kind of put our experiences in these very, um, other tradition type vocabulary. Right. Um, and so I don't know that that, that answers, um, your question, other than I think one of the things that makes this really hard with humans is that we have other factors that start to define the rules very, very quickly. So once we're conscious and we're trying to live for preservation and we're trying to have the most children and have the most food, very quickly in that becomes the need for power, the need for some sort of... Um, monetary thing, whether that's bartering or symbolic money, um, and the need to be able to kind of narrate like, well, why are we killing these innocent people, um, to get power because we need to live, but we don't want to say that because that's rude. That's what gets Game of Thrones heroes killed when they go off on a rampage. Um, and so we, we stories are created to help kind of make the world make sense um but i don't think it's pure i don't think i don't think it stays pure very long i think it gets manipulated by power and desire and those kinds of things pretty quickly
3: i think those stories can be helpful to yeah. human means especially once we get into a community as large as we have now 7 billion people in yeah. the world i mean for 99% of human history we were we lived in very, very small groups of people, yep. mostly less than a hundred. We knew everybody personally, intimately, yep. we had a relationship with them. And and now the world has changed so quick and evolution doesn't work that quickly. So we essentially have these hunter and gatherer brains living in a globalized twenty-first century world.
1: Where I'm online with people all around the world every single day, like and may have <clears throat> Friendships with them where I may never meet them. Right. I mean, it's... What does your brain do with that?
3: Exactly. I mean, our brains aren't evolved to process that. And so we come up with these stories to to make sense out of it. You know, we, we come up with um, think global, live local. <laughs> you know, we come up with these stories that make sense to the world in which yeah. we live in. And I think that that can be really helpful. It can also be really toxic when people get to believe some of these stories that many of which are not true they're not based in any sort of reality that we live in and i think we just have to kind of step back and take a look at the stories that our society believes and think about which are helpful as we go forward in the 21st century and which are really toxic and causing more and more suffering of human beings or animals or the climate and and that's where I think we have a really hard time is, is separating fictional stories from
0: factual reality. These creation stories, clearly, we could all agree, can be very toxic, just like any story. Mm-hmm. They can also be very helpful. So, for instance, the one that we all grew up with, right? I mean, Adam and mm-hmm. Eve i I can completely understand like what where you're coming from as well, and seeing how so many people in these Christian worlds as they grow up and you are totally depraved, mm. and God doesn't love you unless of course he had to get his pound of flesh from his son like it becomes a really weird story that can create um all kinds of shame and things that I mean. That adults, adults carry, I and mean, it's not just it's not just kids. I feel bad for kids because that's when you learn it. But adults carry the same stuff because they are kids trapped in the same story. That's, I don't think that's helpful. I think the Augustinian Calvin double down story of this, for those that don't know, St. Augustine, by the way, is probably the most influential scholar theologian of all time. and when you read the Bible, you're reading St. Augustine and of Hippo and for th- of Hippo <laughs> that's right. There's a little insider hippo story later that you know can fill you in on. But then John Calvin, whom by the way, these people were incredible scholars for their time, he doubled down on this and it became even more intense. And you see this today in the twenty first century with a lot of churches who carry on that same theology. Now, um, I don't. I personally don't have that framework. I think I flirted with it at one point, um, but then I, when I took a step back, and probably like Mark, when you're able to like how do how do you make sense of these stories as they relate to other stories, as they relate to actually my my real story that I'm trying to live today, and that's where you're going with Brian, like what is, what are the stories that are meaningful? So can we have these allegorical stories that were written thousands of years ago still make sense to a story lived today that we can all agree upon?
2: You know, beyond the stories, also is. What does it mean to be human? Because, you know, we, we all agree that there is some sort of quality that, you know, we call humanity. And what exactly is that quality? And I think that comes before all the stories. I mean, uh, uh, again, we, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, the stories that, uh, uh, that primal people Will tell will uh, uh, tell the mythology, the the legends, and they will have like archetypal sort of people that populate these stories. And then, as they're going about their business, they are actually placing themselves in the position of these original heroes of their mythology. So they're reenacting or they're they, – they actually consider themselves at that moment to be their archetypal heroes. This sort of mythology is – I mean you know, if, if um, Mer- Merkai Eliad or however you pronounce his name is uh, correct, this is like the genesis of what later became stories – Like perhaps, you know, we were talking about uh, post-agricultural revolution. Well, around 10,000 years ago, part of the agricultural revolution was climate change, and it drove everybody uh, to uh, places along rivers where there was reliable source of water. So all of a sudden, you got all these people crowded up again uh, along these rivers, and all of a sudden, the stories take on even more importance because over here, You've got these people with this God, and then you've got over here these people with the, the, you know their ancestors or whatever. And sometimes those stories get amalgamated. Sometimes they're they they could be the cause of, of uh, infighting or, or fighting between them. And and so maybe that's where our stories originally started getting uh, bastardized. I don't know when when we had to try to. Somehow make sense of them for for other people's. Uh,
1: well, I think the hard part of this, though, is that we have we do have um, images and archaeological evidence that there before there were necessarily full mythologies. People were already telling stories. They were already recounting their ba- the hunting. They were recounting sexuality. Um, you've got these images on cave walls and on in different. Methods And so I think that it's really hard to say when did these become mythologies. We know that the Ten Commandments were influenced by the Code of Hammurabi, like these things were in coexistence. But when you start looking at world religions, there were lots of other ideas going on in conjunction with some of those ideas. And... Like, I never learned that till later. And I think a lot of us didn't learn that. We were raised in kind of one set of stories. So.
3: And a lot of these stories in history, especially these religions, really help to keep control of large populations. Say, for instance, whether it's uh, the European Middle Ages or Hinduism, most people's lives is pretty much shit. Yeah. I mean they are living very difficult lives, very challenging lives on the edge of starvation, very most, short lives. Very short lives uh of less than 40 years generally and most children didn't live past the age of 1. And to have a you know if you're in power to have a system that says, well, just be patient because in the next life if better. you do your 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 duty now it gets better. Everything's going to be just fine if you just yeah, kind sure. of let the...
1: And let's just point out, too, like this, I think this is critical. Most of these stories are very bad for women. Um, historically, they are the foundation of the patriarchy. And that is something that we we are seeing the way Adam and Eve has been narrated in evangelical Christianity and in Christianity as a whole being lived out right now by what is happening in the United States. And that we need to assert control over women's bodies in very specific ways. And that is rooted in these ancient stories. And most people would say, oh, no, you have to look and see. What, 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 what do we know about Eve? Right. She was the sinner, And she brought her husband down with her. And if she just had a good man ruling over her, that never would have happened. And humanity would have been amazing. And it's just all her fault. So we got to keep these women down. Because if they get their own ideas, they're just going to take us all down with it. I mean, climate change is probably our fault too. So, I mean, I think we have to be really aware that these stories are... Some of these things that are in there are for a reason and they are perpetuated across tens of thousands of years. I
0: would say that people would use those stories today for what you're saying, yes. I would disagree with the intention of those stories, though. I I would think that I think the culture is just it's just changed. We're now more woke, if you will, or awakened mm -hmm. to what's happening in society with patriarchy and power. I think back then, I think it's. Stories were written... It was in, cultural. In, in, it was absolutely... I, I, I think it's just different now. You, there was, we use old stories for a benefit that back then were just... Mm-hmm. It was just part of culture. And I think now culture is finally changing. And it, th- that, that's where there's the rub with these stories.
3: Well, it's strange because historically speaking, when, when you look at the rise of this patriarchy where all of a sudden women have very little or no value in society culturally... That's not the way it's always been. Again, for 99% of human history, these hunter-and-gatherer societies were incredibly egalitarian, both across gender, um, economically, and all of a sudden with the implementation of civilization and agriculture and large populations – Women, among other groups, all of a sudden are incredible. You know, go to the bottom of the pyramid right away. And historically, we don't really know why that is. There's a lot of theories on why that happened, but there really isn't any good evidence to how exactly or why exactly that happened across the board in societies that were not in any way in connected with one another.
2: What happened? uh, You know, when with a more complicated, and again, this this means agriculture, uh, uh. not certain exactly how it would work out with uh, uh, pastoralism, you know, uh, herding, but with an agricultural society that is able to sustain excess population, you end up with people with jobs like, say, priests or pre, you know, clergy, and you end up with people who have to justify their existence. Sometimes, a way of justifying somebody's existence is to suppress other people around them, so that there's a, you know, there there are well, necessary people. Yeah, 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 and that's and so I don't think that you know I don't think that uh, you know uh, inequality or or oppression is something that's native to the human race as much as it is. I still think it's it's. psychological reaction to to situations to the situation you find yourself in and again i mean you know psychology psychology can be cruel It, it it will you know if you're if you are if you feel that you have to be in power you will suppress anybody to try to keep that you know your your own feeling of power Intact.
1: Well, and it, it may be. I mean, I think one of the possible transitions. And I, I do not know a ton about indigenous peoples, but from what I've been learning recently, there was a very strong tie there between women taking care of the earth and being aware of it and reporting that and and teaching the people about that. And I wonder if when we made the transition to to cities or into some sort of more industrialized living that as they were saying hold on this isn't good for the earth like this we're we have water issues people are getting sick and we don't know why we got to figure that out if as those voices were quieted that led to some of that oppression just to quiet the 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 stories to quiet the experience that people were witnessing and to say okay we can't if we're going to continue to grow or be more powerful or whatever like we can't be tuned into that in the same way and i can't prove that so
2: you know um actually now i think oppression may have an an older uh uh origin um because you know when you look at apes Apes, they forage, and then they all eat by themselves. They they form like a real loose sort of a, 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 you know a community, but they're they're nothing like humans. Humans, because of walking upright, um, because babies have to be born very very young and totally helpless. For a long time. And so all of a sudden, the males who may not have been... um, uh, They may not have been... Oh, how can I put it? Like part of the family? Um, Suddenly are like part of the family, but not really. Maybe they just... Maybe they wanted to control the situation. I I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud, but maybe they wanted to control the situation and uh, in order to ensure their their membership in this group.
0: All interesting stuff. So <laughs> I, I'd love to shift gears. There is a book, by the way, I don't know if y'all have read it. James Michener uh, wrote the book, The Source, a long book pretty much goes from like man, woman looking at the stars all the way through the crusades. So hundreds, thousands of years. And it's based on a tell, which in the middle East, archeological dig of layers. And so these, you know, people find and the different layers, different objects. And then they tell these, these it's a historical fiction basically. So if you like historical fiction and a guy who's extremely wordy and long winded, but really detailed Michener is the man, the source. Um, I got to read that again after this conversation. So let's shift gears talking more about uh, spirituality and the reality that that can be apprehended if so. And so one of the questions that you asked here, I think it's important um, even with the inside of other traditions, can spiritual reality ever be apprehended directly? Great question. What is spiritual? <laughs> that's that, that's, not one, well, that, that's my first question there. So it's a good question. Yeah, it's a great question. So I think we need to define spiritual, and then reality is obviously that which you can explain that existed or is existing. It's real, right? I mean, then we we might get into the matrix and, you know, the <laughs> spoon's bending. I don't know. <coughs> but what do y'all think about that? How are we defining spiritual reality? I think that's what we have to start there. I don't and know th- if we do. Do we don't have to I mean, I
1: mean the way we looked at this question on Thursday was when have you encountered something? When have you encountered a spiritual reality? And it really looked at it more from the lens of like, what are these what are the experiences you have had that that have stood out, that have maybe changed the course of your life or change the way that you viewed something or have followed you.
0: Silent disco, Janelle.
1: Yeah. Could be.
0: I laugh at that. And we, we have already talked about that earlier, but why not? Why, why isn't that spiritual?
1: Well, and I think for me, I mean, I'll, I'll go with it. I mean, so I did a, uh, in the church of the Nazarene in the part of the country I was in, they took the rule to not dance quite seriously. And so even though I really loved, you know late 80s music when i was growing up in it um once i hit middle school like there was you know dancing was really not appropriate and we would get in trouble at church if they found out that we were attending um and so i really kind of closed off that part of my experience like i still went to prom and um would go like if there was one event or something i might go to that but in terms of like Exploring music in any way that would lead to dancing, not done. And so uh, in 2010, I went through this leadership training called Focus. And during that time that we were together and going through this transformation, um, like dancing was kind of the culmination of our time together. And that was the first time that I had really danced like as celebration Um, in probably 15, 20 years. Mm. And so, um, that really, and, and after that, like, after that event, like there wasn't really a space for that in my life. And then we, um, went to a church here that had some dances. And then as we went to wild goose, like realizing that this is part of the celebration, this is part of gathering together, And just having community is dancing. It doesn't have to, it's not anything more more or less than that. It's not sinning. It's not, you know, trying to find a partner. It's not any of, it's just moving our bodies to the music to celebrate our humanity. And that does sound really lame when you say it out loud, but it actually, you know, we um, have kind of joked about it because I have deal with chronic migraines. And when we go to wild goose, like I think there's something about the dancing that helps me not to be sick. And I can't prove that, but there's no way in my normal life that I could, I could stay up those hours.
0: It could be the humidity.
1: Could- it could be the humidity, but staying up those yeah. hours and moving that much like exercise is an immediate trigger for me normally. So I don't know. And I, um, yeah, and, I,
0: and I've witnessed that too. You are not only fine, like you are thriving.
1: And there in those are scenarios. And for those of us that are attracted to like the the Silent disco as an event that we look forward to as part of Wild Goose, we are the dancers. Like I do think that there are people that wear that label and people that, that don't. And we are dancers. like we are the ones that will come to that more than anything else. Are we
3: human or are are we dancers? dancers.
1: But I think there's something to it. Like the the church that I was at that did that, like that was one of the songs they always played. Because the people at the end of the night that that are always there, you start to know each other's faces because you're the ones that show up. Um, So I do think there is... Something too, yeah, that- and I think you feel it in your sports balling. <laughs> My sports balling, I love it. <laughs> and I think that we <laughs> What's
0: sports balling? I've never heard actually. it. Uh, the the sports ball, the sports ball.
1: Well, I when I when I when that- I'm a
0: part of a community as as a fan that like yeah you know, your team's winning or losing, it's, they can lose or win doesn't matter. You're just you're together. I get yep. it. Wearing the colors, the tribe.
1: Watching the Olympics. I mean. That that I would love to go to the Olympics someday just to be part of one of the ceremonies, because something happens there, something spiritual happens there.
0: But let me say this though, because um, you you talked about the sports balling. Uh, let me let me let me take a step back there. Uh, being a fan's fantastic. I wasn't
1: trying to be insulting. Well, I know you were, but it's
0: it's going to sound great <laughs> to those who actually like follow the NBA or the NFL, and those that don't like Janelle just said what we all are thinking anyway. That's eighty <laughs> percent. Our people are following you and not not me in this. But uh, as a fan, and then going back to high school, and you, can, Brian, you know, you talked about playing sports. It's uh, there's another level of spiritual ecstasy, if you will, as a player on a team uh, versus being a fan. And I love being a fan. Oh my goodness, I will be a fan till I die. Being a part of a community that's in a, a, a team, and you see this in TV shows. Whether you're watching Friday Night Lights, which is a great show, or I mean. It's any kind of sports movie for that matter. Uh, It's the people like you want to be, I think that's why fans um, are so uh, addicted to the game because they're almost living vicariously through these players that can do things in a transcendent way. We talked about tiger woods earlier. Like, can you imagine being able to golf like tiger woods? I mean, that's why fans love him so much. But when you're dancing, like it is, it is you, you know, you're not just watching dancing with the stars. You are the star.
1: But in, see now, but I would never, like, making me think of it that way would make me nervous, and then I would go well, I, sit.
0: I shouldn't have said with the stars in. Well, no, I, but, like, just that it...
1: it can't be performance. Like, okay, it can't be a perform In this case, like, it cannot be a performative thing. It has to be an in-the-moment thing. And I guess, I, I guess that I clarify that because I'm also a musician, and very, very rarely in my musical life do I get to a space where it's, it's hard for me to get to just a purely like non-performance space right and so i really cherish that because
0: when you think about all things whether we're talking about music art athletes they're all looking for that goal to achieve right. like that prize that is scary but the 90 something percent of them will never achieve that goal that trophy the mvp whatever that is and even if i do get it in um it's it's not i don't think it's ever about that even though that's a thing that we're chasing after the, the spiritual component is—it's really—it is the process. It's the journey. It's—it yeah. could be teamwork. It could be you and your 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 coach. If you're if it's individual sport, but um, I we we lie we deceive ourselves thinking that it's about that prize. So when you had said it, you know, it's not about the performance. I would actually agree because oh, you yeah. maybe you have been more awakened to the reality that the most of us have there is an illusion. We think it's about the trophy. It's never about the trophy. It's about the season, and the off season's is even more interesting, by the way. <laughs> I think. But you know, how about more spiritual realities apprehended? Sorry, we went off on a great little rabbit trail hole there. Hope you're still hanging with us.
3: <laughs> yeah, I think you can even erase the word spiritual there. You know, but do we really? Do we really face reality head on, or do a lot of what we do in the 21st century remove us from reality? And I, and, and I think that's important to face reality head on. And one thing that's helped me a lot recently is, is meditation, you know, kind of removing yourself from, from think, observing how you feel about certain things calmly, dispassionately and realizing what is real and what is not. I mean, the amount of things you alluded to before that are happening politically in this country that are hurting so many people that we all care deeply about, but my anger is not going to achieve anything. you know. And if I can step back and realize what's really happening and realize that my anger and my frustration isn't going to solve any of the problems and dealing with reality head on, finding a rational approach is, is going to be that much better than if I take my anger and my frustration and I and and I let that I, I take that out on someone a yeah. friend of mine who who shares some similar political beliefs, so I, I think that can be very difficult to. Well, I think take the hard part is
1: on. is when we're dealing with some of these big issues, and um, I've heard this specifically said with climate change. We have all the rationality, we have all the data. The data is unquestionable. And yet people are still either one questioning it because they don't want to believe it or two just don't have the bandwidth to face the reality of what the numbers are. And so then the call is to take that anger and that passion for this issue and to transform that into winning the hearts of the people that are not able to process that reality and, like that is such a challenge, and in this case, where I heard that was in an interfaith religious sitting where they were talking to religious leaders and saying you're the you're the pathway like your job is to take these numbers and turn them into heart, because if we don't do that, we're all going to die
3: and I think climate change is a great example of where one of these stories is extremely toxic, people yeah. believing that Climate change is a myth, and believing the story that it's not human generated or that this is just God's will is having enormous amount of suffering on people. I mean, we're, we're going to be dealing with climate refugees. Yep, yeah.
1: we already very are. Very shortly that, here. That's the only like <laughs> explanation for the amount of migration that's going on right now is that we're already seeing the impacts of climate change, and yeah, it. This is. It's, al- it's almost as incomprehensible as God, the the, the level of threat that, that we're facing, but...
3: It's people not willing to face reality yeah. head on, and it's having massive impacts. I used to live in a tiny little country in the Pacific called the Marshall Islands. The highest point of elevation is three feet.
1: Yeah, you're gone.
3: Two-thirds of Marshallese people actually live in the United States now, and, and that's partially because of this. Yep. I mean, in 50 years, the country won't exist. Yeah. If sea level goes up six inches, you're done. The country's underwater. yep And that is a reality that a lot of people don't want to face. They're believing a story that's not true, has no yeah. basis in reality. So I think if we can just face reality head on, we, we can make a lot of progress in the world.
1: And, I mean, even the text from this week from the liturgical calendar in Revelation is that when God comes, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and the waters will be washed away. Okay. What are we going to drink then? I don't know. But but my question, my question was, like, but is, is new better? And does the fact that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth mean we get to totally fuck this one over for fun? I don't think that's what his instructions were in the garden when he he established the rivers that went to the edges of the world and said, you are the stewards of this. I, I don't think his intention was that we destroy it purposefully. Um, I think the intention was, you know, maybe make me do as little work as I need to do as possible to be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and we've just completely ignored our responsibility in that way
2: actually that's where our hunter gatherers came back in because they lived within nature um you know it's, it's funny uh, there was a major drought in uh uh africa where the kung live the kung of the kalahari and they were talking about uh the Matumbo I think was the name of the other and they were they were uh basketball farmers. player by the way Look yeah well um, they were, they were farmers and then the uh the hunter gatherers because they lived within nature nature has a certain resilience even to a major drought which is what they were having a major drought and the farmers they were they were in a seriously bad shape they were starving and um so yeah when we uh when we started living an agricultural life and then later on uh you know the industrial revolution we uh we started living further and further outside of nature and uh we no longer consider our parts ourselves a part of nature so maybe nature since we don't consider ourselves a part of nature maybe nature is kicking us out
1: that's a possibility. <laughs> so do you feel that your meditation practice is spiritual or would you not put that label on it?
3: I don't think I would. I mean, it it, it helps me see the world in a different way, for sure. There's no question about that. Um, and I think it helps me see things as they really are in a more... Not purely objective, but in a more objective way, um, where I'm not manipulated by stories that someone's trying to sell me, yeah. No matter what they are, um, and and that's been so. I guess you could say that that's been kind of a, a, a bit of a spiritual revelation for me. Not in any sort of way that I grew up with right. what what spiritual experience is, yeah. But it's it's been a deep experience for myself. Yeah. And I think it's helped me become a much better person that I've evolved personally through that. There's no, there's no question about that.
1: Yeah. How about you, Ryan, any spiritual experience where you feel like you've apprehended reality directly?
0: Yes. And it's going to sound weird because it's not logical. So I, I was living in, Dominica in the Caribbean. my sister had um, thyroid cancer. was going to get uh, surgery to have it removed the next day. and I remember specifically walking up this trail, pausing, realizing that you know I, I was so many miles away and I couldn't do anything. So I began to pray in a way that I'd never prayed before in the middle of you know on this trail. you know and I wasn't at my home, so I was very vulnerable. Anybody could have driven by or walked up and, but it was as if I had, um, I don't want to say use the word power, but I had the ability to, uh, reach out and specifically like put my hand upon her and ask God to heal her. Okay. And I believed mm-hmm. it. And I thought it would, I mean, I, it, it, it's weird talking about it. You know, when people talk about these mm-hmm. things. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't translate. It doesn't, doesn't. So I apologize for all of you listening. I can't really make sense of this, except for that it was very real to me. Next day they go in, they do the surgery and there's, there's, it's gone. You know, it's, and I knew, and I, I knew like, what? it was like, great. We were all like, awesome. Praise God. But I knew when I prayed that prayer that it was gone in a way that doesn't, it's not logical. It's extremely mystical.
1: Extremely rare.
0: It's very rare. And here, there she was in Texas, and I was in Dominica. But on that moment, in that very, very vulnerable, crying out to God kind of way, um, I felt the presence of a spiritual reality that I cannot explain, even to date. It's just sort of – and I've seen people experience these things, too, That from the outside looking in going, that's crazy. So I understand when you hear this, yeah. Ryan's crazy. Okay. No, but do you know what I'm saying, though? No, I mean, like it, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Spiritual realities are typically not logical. And how they, about you? They, yeah. They Maybe. can't they can't be logical
2: um because reality doesn't conform to our kind of logic. And yeah, I've had experiences like this. Um it's a thing. I've had it two times. It's a thing that just comes on. It is a thing that is it's a feeling. It's something. Everything is okay. It's basically, if I, I guess that's a good way to put it in words. I, I remember the one time I was in this valley. It was in the mountains. It wasn't a deep valley or anything, but it was, uh, you know, a low area where you couldn't see the road. You couldn't see the campground where we were at. You couldn't see anything. And I was, Imagining being some sort of like, you know, Indian or something and being by myself, you know, on my way to wherever the heck it was I was going to. And how, how would you feel in the middle of absolutely nothing? And all of a sudden there's this feeling inside me that it was like, it's like I was getting big or something. It was... And it was just it was just this uh strange thing it lasted for i don't know five minutes maybe, and that was the end of that but it it was just this- it was just this feeling like okay, that's, everything it's good, you know if I had been i suppose in that situation completely vulnerable, I don't know it was just uh it was like, yeah, it's cool. It's good.
0: Yeah, I I would encourage people, not that this is the last word, by the way, because your experience is going to (laughs) be your own last word. Whether you call it spiritual or you have a reason for it or it's just good for you and your community, to to explore what that looks like in your own life in the present moment. Um, Maybe there's stories you have in the past. Great, tell them. I think they're fun to talk about with people that you care about, but also... Try to experience them. You might not make sense of them, but yeah, I, th- I think it's if it's good for you and the people around you, they need it needs to be shared and uh, lived out. So this was this was fun, and we were all over the map, which is normal on Thursday nights yeah. too. <laughs> so if you. Liked this and you want to be a part of something like this, reach out to us. We'd love to get you started in your own community and make sure and share it online. Yeah. We're on iTunes. Rate it, review it, five star it. It's always a good thing. Gets more listeners that way. And cheers, everybody. Cheers. We're at.